in the midst of all that was going on that evening, in the midst of her own circumstances in those days, took time to ponder, to consider all the things that had been said and were being said about her young son. She contemplated them, she reflected them, she mauled over these things, and she puzzled over them. She recalled what she knew of the Word of God, and she conferred with her own soul, trying to work her way through everything that had taken place, the angelic visitations that had come, the virgin birth that she had just experienced, and the words that were being said, and trying to process all that had happened and what it meant. She treasured them up in her heart. To treasure something is, of course, to place a high value on that thing. And for Mary, in this particular instance, it was an opportunity for her to hold on to all of these events that were taking place. In our lives, many words come our way. We hear many things from many different sources. Many events take place in our lives, and they go right by us. We don't take or make any effort to remember them. They are not particularly significant. So the effort that Mary makes here when she treasures up these things in her heart is an effort to say these things cannot be lost. They can't be forgotten somewhere along the way, and so she treasures up all of the things in her heart. And then in the verse that I read uh, after the presentation of Jesus in Jerusalem, Mary and Joseph marveled, or uh, another way to say it is they wondered at all of the things that were being said about their son. This word to marvel or to wonder is one of Luke's favorite ways to describe how people respond to or react to Jesus or the words that are said about Jesus or the events surrounding the life of Jesus or the things that Jesus did, whether he did them himself or whether he did them through the apostles on through the, gospel, uh, on through the, the book of Acts. Luke likes to describe it this way, that people marveled, that people wondered over these things. They looked at them, they stared at them, and to a certain extent they were speechless because there weren't words to describe the wonder of what was taking place, and that was certainly the case at the Incarnation. So we've got pondering and wondering and treasuring up all the things that are before us. I don't know if it seems this way to you, but it seems to me, as I read those words and I reflect on those things, that perhaps we have a, a somewhat diminished capacity in our lives for wonder and for pondering over things. It seems to me that perhaps we have experienced a, a collective atrophy of our ponder muscle, of our wonder capacity. It's not that we don't long for these things. It's not that we don't want to wonder. We know that Christmas, that the incarnation of the Son of God, is a time for marveling. It's a wonderful time, and we want it to be 
for us and for our souls a wondrous time. And that's true, really, that's true not only for us who are sitting in this room tonight, gathered to hear these things, to consider these words again, to sing them afresh again, but it's really true for our culture as well. Our culture wants Christmas to be wonderful. Our culture wants Christmas to be a magical time. They want it to be a time, and you know the words, they want it to be a time of peace, a time of joy, a time of warm feelings, of of generosity, and of love. All that you've got to do to confirm that that is the case is to turn on one of the endless series of Hallmark movies, and you will quickly see that they desperately want to see Christmas as something that is for a person individually or for a group of people, something that is centering, something that is reorienting for one's life, for the wayward soul. And so, in the Hallmark movies, there is always some variant of the following story. There's the Madison Avenue advertising marketing executive who has become lost in the success of the job that they have. And it doesn't matter. It can be a man or woman. And then there is the corresponding, the complementary, we'll call them the small business person, uh, or the person who is struggling uh, to make a business work or something like that. And though they don't have much in terms of material possessions or success in the world, what they do have is the Christmas spirit. They have the Christmas glow, and and you can tell that they have the Christmas glow, in case you missed it in some way, because behind them in every shot, and if you doubt my words on this, watch one of them. Uh, Yes, I have watched enough of them to know that this is what I'm speaking is now true, or at least snippets of them. Every shot in the background, there are more Christmas trees than you've ever seen in your life. The office buildings there have more Christmas trees than any other office buildings in history. Though there were a lot of, Lauren and I were in New York this past week and we saw a lot of Christmas trees in office buildings. But nevertheless, that's where all the Hallmark films are shot, uh, with the Christmas trees, with wreaths, with poinsettias, uh, and with lights. If there aren't any actual lights in the background, they work the cinematography so that there are dangling Christmas lights magically in the back of every person. And so you know that that person, as they work with the wayward soul person, is going to bring them back. They are going to help this person who has lost the spirit to get back the spirit of love and of Christmas joy. Now, I know that that is an easy target, and I know, and I've done it, it's easy to poke fun at those things, or beyond poking fun at them, even to be angered at them by the absence of Christ. I get that. I I feel that as well when I watch those things. But for just a moment, what, what I would rather choose to do, rather than critiquing those things, what I want to appreciate from them is that I think what they reflect is a deep longing of the soul The soul desires that in the midst of this world that there be something, something that is other. And all of these expressions, whether it is the 
Hallmark movies or whether it is shopping or whether it is putting inflatables on your lawn or whether it is listening to endless songs about snow and about frost and about cold. There's something there. There is a deep soul desire for something that is true, for something that in the midst of everything else is actually meaningful, something that transcends the soul-numbing busyness of our lives, some light to penetrate through the fog of the mundane and the routine, some peace, some place, something to provide hope in the midst of a brutal world. Our soul aches and our soul hungers. Our soul wants to ponder. It wants to wonder at something. And so it seeks something. Every soul seeks it, albeit in a Hallmark movie. It seeks something to say, this transcends. This has depth to my otherwise meaningless, futile life. Now, by the grace of God, by the grace of God and the grace of God alone, we know what the object of that wonder ought be. The object of the wonder ought be the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the mighty God, the light of revelation, the one who, as Mary describes him, fills the hungry with good things. But it's hard to ponder. How do we ponder when we oftentimes find ourselves with a lame ponder muscle? How do we ponder when our ponderer is three sizes too small? Well, may, allow me tonight just to, to offer three ideas for recalibrating your ponderability. So we're talking about ponderability. It's a new word. It's not too late for you to apply them this year in order to ponder the wonder of the incarnation. The first thing you have to do, we have to do, we have to stop. We must stop. Your soul cannot be fed. Your soul cannot be satisfied on the go. You cannot stop through the drive-through and get a little food for your soul while you are on your way shopping. The soul will not be satisfied with that. The soul wants you to stop. Now, if we go back for a moment to the Old Testament, to the Old Covenant, and we think about the Sabbaths and the festivals and the feasts that took place in the Old Testament, all of them necessitated stopping from normal activity. In order to participate in those things, you had to stop. And when I say normal activity, I don't mean to criticize it. It's good activity. It's the things that God has given us to do. They're, they're good things in and of themselves. But if you're going to ponder, you have to stop from those things so that you have time to actually do this work of treasuring things up in your heart. Shepherds have to leave sheep. Magi have to leave. They have to go. They have to travel. 
They have to do something other than what they normally do. We have to clear out time for our soul. There's no other way to do it, and it's hard. We're multitaskers. We can do many things at one time. Can I feed my soul and fill in the blank? Check my emails. You must unplug in order to recharge your soul. We have to stop. Secondly, we need to get alone with God. Praise God that that little verse, 19, is tucked into that amazing passage. I don't know how Mary did that. I don't know whether she physically somehow was able to pull aside, pull away from the hubbub, or whether she just found a way to have some time for herself and her soul in the midst of everything else that was going on around her. But what we get in her, and we see it not only in this place here, but we see it as she gives to us the Magnificat, and I'll reference that in just a moment. We see in Mary an individual person who is concerned for her soul, who takes the time to say, soul, you've got to consider these things and ponder them, the things that are going on around you, the things that are being said about your son. We've got to get alone to do that. And when we get alone, the Bible encourages us in the midst of that aloneness to ponder using verse. Using verse. And the reason I want to use that word verse is because I think it points us in three helpful directions with reference to time by ourselves. In in the first place, when, when we think of verse, we should think of Scripture. We should think of the verses and the pages of Scripture. As you look at the response, whether it's of Mary or Simeon or anyone else in these early chapters of Luke to the Incarnation, what you see them echoing in their response are the words of Scripture. They are contemplating the the Word of God. They are mulling over the Word of God, and they are using the very words of God from the Old Testament to express their praise, their wonder, at the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But verse, and you will notice this not only from Mary, but from the others again in these first two chapters of Luke in particular, verse, when they are expressing it, turns quickly to what we would also think by verse, which is to say poetry. When people reflect on the incarnation, when they want to express their wonder, when they want to ponder, they turn to poetry. Now, that's not to say that narrative, just telling us the story, isn't valuable. It is valuable to do this, but nevertheless, they use poetry, and we have to ask the question, well, why? Why do they turn to poetry? And the answer is because poetry makes us stop and think about something in a way that narrative doesn't. The language is different. The language isn't there for the easy accessibility when you're reading or poetry or when you're writing poetry. You have to think about it. Poetry then reaches down into our soul and allows that soul to ponder, to contemplate in a way that narrative even itself doesn't do necessarily. 
and there's the poetry of Scripture that we ought to consider, but there's also great poetry out there that is a way for the soul to contemplate the things of God that have been written, poetry written about the incarnation, about the ministry of Christ, and about the world as a whole. Verse, the verses of Scripture, verse that turns into poetry, and then verse takes one more turn, and we recognize it because it's exactly what we've been doing tonight. The, the final turn that verse takes is it turns into song. So we look at these early chapters of Luke and we reference them as the song of Mary or the song of Zechariah or the song of the angels or the song of Simeon. Verse lends itself well to music. And music with verse lends itself well to touching portions of our soul. And that's why the Bible is full of verse and it is full of music. And so, as you sang verses tonight, as you listened to music being played, it hits your soul in a different way, even, I'm not saying it's a better way, but it's a different way even than me speaking right now. God uses those things to touch our soul. So we've got to stop. We've got to get alone and consider verse. And then the third and final step for pondering is that while individual pondering is essential, individual pondering does not replace gathered pondering. If we want to ponder the wonder of the incarnation, then we must come together. We must gather up around Jesus. That is what Jesus did, of course, in his adulthood. He gathered people around him. Now, mind you, think Luke here for a moment, there were plenty of times when Jesus got alone to pray. He had to take time by himself. But other than that, he gathered up people around him. And even in his infancy, there's gathering that is taking place. It's, it's a foretaste of what he is going to do in his earthly ministry, and then as the ascended king, he's going to gather up people. And so as family, as friends, as a church, we gather together to ponder and to wonder, to read and to sing verse together. And in that way, we carry one another. We bear one another in pondering. So perhaps you came here tonight with a great deal of joy. You're glad for your circumstances. You're glad for the incarnation. You're glad to be here worshiping. Praise God. But perhaps you came here tonight full of sorrow for someone you're missing, for a fractured relationship, for a a Christmas celebration that's not going to be what you expected or hope it would be. Or perhaps you're just here tonight with the Christmas blues. You don't have the Christmas spirit and you don't know why. Coming together, gathering together, allows us to wonder together, to carry one another into the court of the King, where we sit before the wonderful counselor. It is not too late to ponder the wonder well.
Mary, in her Magnificat, was able to say this. May we be able to say as well. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You have made a good start. Being here together in verse and song is a great place to begin our pondering. Let's pray.